I just got off a Zoom call with a client just before we got on this podcast. And she was lamenting that her husband stopped pursuing her. He just basically let his foot off the gas. And she's she's like, I I don't really know how to how to get him going again. It's like when we stop choosing the hard path, that's the kind of thing that happens. You let your guard down and you get taken out. There's a time for rest. There's a time for the lion to go to sleep and the lamb to rise, right? There's a time for all things under the sun. But generally speaking, you live on a fractured planet. This is a world at war, unseen and in the scene. And if you don't think that and know that, you're going to be a casualty. Casual bros are casualties. Casual husbands, casual fathers, they're all casualties. And they've got an excuse for it, but they're freaking casualties. And we don't need to be that. Welcome to the Present Fathers Podcast. This is the show that focuses on climbing the mountain of fatherhood together. We believe that dads matter. That's why this show is for you. So gear up, dads. Get ready. It's time to start climbing. Welcome to another episode of the Present Fathers Podcast. Our guest today is Jonathan Rios. Jonathan is a husband, a father of four, an outdoorsman and a licensed psychotherapist. He's also the author of the book, Primal Virtues for the Modern Man, and he runs a course for men to build fierce and competitive men. Welcome to the show, Jonathan. Thanks for having me, Phil. Yeah, we're excited to have you, man, and uh, looking forward to learning from all you've done. So if you could start, uh, give us a little bit about your background, talk about your family, uh, you know, how you got to where you are professionally, and we'll just take it from there. Right on, man. Yeah. Uh, so uh, born born in Puerto Rico, grew up with three sisters. I'm the oldest of four, uh, but generally speaking, spent lots of time in masculine tribes growing up, played high-level soccer there at my youth, and then played Division One for four years, then trained at VMI, which is a military academy with the Army, for four years, um, then played overseas for two years in Ireland, again, another tribe of men, and uh, have always just, that was up through the age of about 27. So uh, got married at the age of 29. My wife and I decided to um, to produce four daughters, which was awesome. Went for, the, went for the boys, never happened. I think it's because I drank so much Mountain Dew in college. That, that's just a theory. So, uh, yeah, man, you know, once I stopped playing soccer uh, and started getting, you know, started to become a family guy, really started to really rethink what it was to be a father, a husband, uh, and decided to go back to school for uh, my my undergrads in psychology and decided to finally go back to school to study counseling psychology. Ended up um, doing that, now licensed in the state of Florida and cut my teeth here in South Florida, which is heavy with addiction treatment. So spent 15 to, gosh, 15 to almost 19 years uh, working in addiction treatment centers and dealing with all, all kinds of addictions and fell in love with that population, could relate to that population. I've had my own struggles in the past with binge drinking and hard drugs. And uh, my grandfather was a heroin addict. He died of uh he actually died of AIDS. He contracted HIV through needles. 
And so um, it's, it's, it's in my family lineage and just through the, through the process of working in that population, you get exposed to trauma, anxiety, depression, you name it, man, everything under the sun, personality disorders. And eventually, of course, I decided to launch my own practice, wanted to work for myself and um, really began to, to clamp down and focus on anxiety disorders and particularly panic, panic disorders and phobias. And um, I'm also very passionate about working with athletes or performers who are trying to go to the next level. Maybe it's a, maybe it's a high school kid who's really competitive and he wants to go to division one, or maybe it's a amateur baseball player who wants to go play in the MLB. And then in Florida, we have a lot of golfers. So I see a lot of golfers as well. And again, through the process of working with different clientele, really started to just organically have a hunger to teach men what it is to be a man in modern in the modern era uh, specifically because I started seeing so many men who hadn't been fathered and you guys you guys are well aware of the statistics there but uh, yeah so I guess that that was the natural progression it's man there's this gaping lack of knowledge and lack of fathering, lack, lack of apprenticeship, lack of mentorship. And I've been blessed, man. My father's still alive. He He's mentored me my whole life. We're still tight. We have a good relationship. He's the guy I call when I have issues. I've had other mentors and a lot of men have just never had anything like that. So I, I had a sense of obligation to you know, teach what I'd freely been given. So that that's informed um, even some of the programs I've launched. I've got a, a three-day intensive, which is called the Primal Course in North Carolina, which is a mixture of psychotherapy meets rugged mountaineering, meets basic survival skills, meets competition and brotherhood and, and teaching of mental toughness and confidence and stages of masculine development. It's a, it's a mixed bag, man, because I didn't want to teach anything that would be boring. I, I wouldn't want to, I wanted to create something that I would want to go to. So that that's how that happened. And then I also have an eight week rite of passage men's group, which is attended. I'd say 50% of my participants are local Palm Beach County Floridians. The other, the other 50% are from all over the country. And um, we go through the different um, facets of what it might, what it might need to look like in order to operate at max capacity as a man, as a father, as a husband, as a business owner, we explore um, identity, sexuality, marriage, uh, mas masculine development, confidence, courage, things like that. And it culminates culminates in a 24-hour nonstop crucible event, which is a mixture of paramilitary style training slash hand-to-hand combat and competition. And so, and we're I'm on the coast, man. So a lot of it takes place in the water or on, on the coastline. And it's a really epic time. It's, it's, it, it really, it really bonds the man at the end of the eight week stage. And, and uh, th throughout they've been building up, well, there's physical disciplines and we're all intermittent fasting the whole eight weeks. And so there's a lot that goes into that, but um, I'm really passionate about it, man. And um, it, it was born out of necessity, bro. Like I just, I saw a need and, you know, I spent four years training at VMI and was, coached by, mentored by, you know, 
men of great renown, uh, warriors, uh, staff sergeants, lieutenants, generals, man, they're all these badass warriors and, and just wanted to wondered what that could look like to take some of that stuff, mix it with some of the psychology, psychological training I've received. And then, and then all that is infused with the fact that I'm, a, I'm, and I'm, I'm a Christian. I, I believe that we are image bearers and God had, God meant something when he designed men. So in a nutshell, that's what keeps me busy. I love it, man. I love your passion and also the, uh, you know, just taking action. You saw a need and decided to do something about it. Um, so my, I guess my first question to you then is, you know, so much of this is based off of masculinity, teaching men to be men. So according to Jonathan Rios, what is a man? What defines a man? Not, not from a biological point of view, but like, you know, when does a boy become a man? <laughs> yeah. Got to well, clarify that in these times you live in, you know? Yeah, I, I am well aware. Yes. Uh, so Man, I, two, two things that, that come to mind. Um, number one, uh, Eric Gilmore, he, he, he said it this way. He said, um, masculinity or manhood is the eradication of childhood narcissism. So the Bible says it this way. When I became a man, I put away my childish ways, right? So there's, there's a pivot. And, and if you think of it in, in terms of, okay, what do boys do? Boys... Well, they tend to play. They kind of they kind of live in fantasy land, right? They're sword fighting with sticks, and 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 they haven't yet developed a hunger for responsibility. In fact, they run from it. Go clean your room, Johnny. Johnny doesn't want to clean his room, right? Because he wants to play and never grow up. Peter Pan syndrome. So, yeah, and there's a stage for that. There's a season for that to be the boy. But at some point, we've got to make that shift, and and the shift is to gladly accept sacrificial responsibility right so we're making this pivot point and shifting into all right a man takes responsibility for standing his on on his own two feet for becoming a protector for becoming a provider uh he starts to tend to the garden so to speak he starts to become a caretaker right um so that the garden can flourish and the garden is might be a metaphoric for his domain whether that's a wife or that's his job or that's his apartment or that's his, that's his, uh, his village, his city, whatever it is, even his own temple, his own body, he starts to become the, the true blue caretaker. So in my, in my opinion, um, that's when we start to move into what it be, what it means to be a man and at a, at a very base level. Right. So it doesn't factor in temperament. That doesn't factor in, personality that doesn't factor in upbringing and men look different but at a base level is he gladly accepting sacrificial responsibility is he leaving behind boyhood fantasy doesn't mean you can't be childlike right we don't want to we grow old because we stop playing i'm not saying we stop playing i'm saying we we mature right so that's that's my base answer i like that it's a pretty good uh you know, clear way to, to define it. Um, and, you know, I, I've believed that there's a issue now with essentially physically grown men are still in a prolonged state of adolescence, uh, emotionally and maybe spiritually. 100%. Um, you know, do you have any idea it, just working with all these different guys, you know, 
what do you think is causing that? Is it literally just fatherlessness? Is it is it a bigger issue? You know, what what can we do uh, collectively in all of our different communities to to stop that? Correct, correct me if I'm wrong, George. The question is, what is it? Why is it that men really are kind of stuck in that adolescent yes. state, that adolescent yeah. mindset? Because yeah, so, you know, I think like if our grandfathers and great grandfathers would be like absolutely baffled by this, right? I mean, it, their generation just kind of took things over, right? They did. There wasn't really any. There was no concept of prolonged adolescence for a thirty-year-old man or something. You know what I mean? But today, you have how many, you know, grown men in their thirties, late twenties, thirties, still live at home, or you know, they don't all, all that kind of stuff that you hear about. Um, yes. You know, why absolutely. is that? Yeah, I have some thoughts. So, okay, yeah. So, of course, I mean, fatherlessness is a real issue. But, but the issue with fatherlessness, or one of the issues, is if I've never had someone to show me the way, then I'm I'm just kind of stabbing at the dark, trying to just figure it out, right? And so, um, I think, well, it's not it's not a thought. It's actually if you just look at cultural history, for all of human history rites of passage were the norm in society, right? We, we are the new guys, right? To where we don't even know what that, it's just a fancy name. We don't even know what that means anymore. It's been lost. So what a rite of passage was and what it does is it teaches the boy how to become a man. It takes him through a process, a permeating process where he starts to learn, okay, a, a, a boy does this and a man does this. Uh, uh, this is what it looks like to be a leader. This is what it looks like to be a, uh, someone who finishes what he starts. This is what it looks like to step into the fray. And in a rite of passage, you're learning you have what it takes. You're learning that you are the apple of your father's eye. You're learning that you, um, that you're learning what honor is. Like, how do you, what does honor look like among men? how to treat women, how to work ethic, all these things come into play. You're actually learning hard skills, right? It's like, it's a form of apprenticeship. We, you, how are you going to know how to do that stuff unless someone who's gone before you shows, shows you the way? And there's an old, um, I, I forget the, the exact verse, but there's an old verse in, in Jeremiah. It says, ask for the ancient paths that you may essentially know the way and walk in it. And so there's this, ancient knowledge here here's what it is to be a man and a father and i will show you how you just i'll teach you and and you can also mimic me i'll demonstrate and then you try it and then we'll tweak it and you try again and these different iterations and so um when the word apprenticeship would be a great way of thinking of it so i think that that's one of the main reasons we see extended adolescence is, I mean, I just so you guys know, I don't know if you knew this, but my wife and I fostered 13 teenage boys over the course of some years. And from, from the ages of 11 up through 18. And so, you know, it, it was just like hands-on in my face, hands-on reality. Okay. These kids don't know how to do anything. They'd been neglected, abandoned, abused. No one had ever fathered them. Uh, heck, their, their perspective of authority, male authority figures was all skewed and messed up. And so, um, yeah, that's one of our roles, man, as, as healthy, mature men is to 
teach the younger generations, man, even honestly, doesn't necessarily need to be the younger generation, guys that are older than you who just weren't taught things and father, there's no shame there, you know, but, but we, we do need a bit of a wake up call to go, Hey, like there's more for you. You've got more in the tank. Here's how you do it. Yeah. And you were, what you were alluding to there was a little bit like, uh, from the book wild at heart by, uh, John Eldridge, where he talks about, you know, there's like the stages of manhood. Uh, and you know, if you get stuck at one, you can't really ever grow to the other ones. And, uh, yeah. So to your point, you know, older men could potentially still be stuck at like step one or two and a younger guy who had great, uh, you know, fathering and, and had that drawn out of him from a younger age in terms of how many years he's walked the earth. Uh, but, you know, within him, he may be a lot more man, actually. <laughs> so it's interesting how that can play out. Um, I know Justin had a question for you. I'll kick it over to him. Uh, it wasn't just a question. It was just kind of to piggyback off something he said. Uh, it kind of struck home a little. I think, you know, him saying that, you know, fathers create the path forward. That is, that's a very profound statement. Like that's not something that a lot of people just visualize and see, but that's exactly what a father or a mentor does. And it doesn't have to be a father, it can be a father figure. Uh, but I'd say for me personally, like I had some maturity issues due to some traumas that happened in my life. Um, I went through some some pretty hard times uh, in the last decade or so, uh, and it, it stopped me in my tracks. And I, I really struggled with a lot of things. Mm -hmm. But having a strong father who had been through similar similar like events, um, and I'll just tell you what the event was. It was a divorce. Um, he just he kind of guided the way for me. I mean, even though he didn't say or really do anything specific, it was I've taught you this way. This is how I live my life. I've taught you to be able to take these hardships and react to them the way that I would react. And so he kind of guided me without even guiding me, if that makes sense. Uh, he kind of showed me the way, he kind of gave me a path forward or a blueprint, so to speak. And I think that's what a lot of kids, I think you hit the nail on the head. A lot of kids are missing that structure and that that path forward. And I think that's, that's why a lot of guys need to mentor more. Uh, and and I have to say, like when you said seasons, it, it really clicked with me because that was a season of my life. I I couldn't figure anything out for myself other than the wisdom that was shared with me from other men. So mm -hmm. and then of course I had George, who was already a father at the time. I was not. I'm a I'm a fresh father in this one. <laughs> but it's just like having those those brothers and fathers and those mentor figures in your life really can change and pull you away from you know those immaturities and and pull you towards growth and and like george has said countless times and we've all said on this podcast like accountability with the brotherhood or like you said a tribe is definitely something that i think we all need we're all guilty of of those seasons so to speak but uh having a father figure i think is is the strongest i guess tool to have on your belt for that so mm -hmm. yeah man i love it and Jonathan, you know, right, right away, you were talking about the program where, uh, you know, it, it culminates after the eight weeks with the, you know, the kind of challenging event. Um, I think that really illustrates very well just how as men, boys or men, actually, um, you know, we, there's something in, in us just deep within the way we're created that we like that shared suffering just creates a level of bond that you don't really get otherwise. Um, but I also think we, 
we deep down desire that, right? Like we don't want to go through the pain in the in the forefront, but in the long run, we're like, man, I'm so glad I did that with my with my brothers, you know. Um, so I think that's very wise that your program puts such an emphasis on tribe. But from my point of view, it just seems like with social media and we live in the digital age and all this kind of thing, people aren't connected anymore. Not even just men; it's just in general, like no one talks to their neighbors. We're all isolated in our little bubbles. Um, you know, and I'm trying to think, you know, you, you probably have more exposure having, you know, raised foster kids and working with guys of all ages, I assume. Um, you know, how is that impact of not having tribe, you know, what, what are younger guys struggling with? What, what can we open our eyes to, to help, um, you know, if we're a little bit older now to, to reach out and maybe make a difference? Is it Uh not just volunteer work necessarily, but just having that, that eye in our communities to kind of to take the initiative, I guess. Yeah. Well, um, okay. So a lighthouse draws, draws boats and, and humans to it just by its nature. Right. So I think by every listener, by you guys, by, by me maxing out potential and stewarding your talents, your ideas, your dreams, your visions, your giftings, as you begin to expand, uh, that that's attractive, right? And so then it's, I think, on an individual basis, looking around you going, I, 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 I try to coach people, like, what bothers you? You know, for some people, it's abortion. And, and on to, to a certain level, it, it bothers all of us. But, but for some people, it's foster kids. For some people, it's how do we teach? Let's teach other men how to be fathers, right? Uh, for some people, it's, man, I'm really passionate about helping entrepreneurs max out their business. I, what, whatever bothers you, it's like a holy indignation, a holy irritation. You should pay attention to that, right? So um, that's part of it. I had a little, I had some of that. My wife had some of that with the foster thing, right? So, but that was for a season. We were still in the process of having our own kids. We've got four daughters. So um, that's what I would say. Pay attention to what bothers you. Also notice where you see a need. And it kind of it kind of frustrates you that that, that that hole is not plugged. Right? So maybe that's a sign to you that you're, you're supposed to step in that direction. But I would caution, man, like we're kind of, it's kind of preached on social media and on YouTube like that, that you should that you should give a shit about everything. And the truth is, uh, if you give a shit about everything, if you care about everything, you'll care about nothing because you'll be spread too thin. So you have to kind of narrow down. Okay, God, is this you? Are you on this? Is this what's in my heart? And like nagging thoughts, nagging ideas, nagging burdens inside of you. Pay attention to those things. Um, hopefully that. That answers a little bit of your question. No, I, that's that's a very good way to look at it in terms of like the lighthouse, right? Drawing the attention in the first place. And I agree with you. You have to be very guarded in terms of your own time because if you can't only focus on the outward, right? We all have families here. That's your first ministry. That's your first responsibility is to your family. Yeah, a life suck too, man. Yeah. Right, yeah. Well, and even if too much of a good thing, you know, if you're pouring yourself, we had a guest recently, Cody Jefferson talked about this. You know, he spent his entire life pastoring and worship leading and 
and everything was about the church and everything was about helping people and he had he was helping other people so much he literally just like forsake his own family um you know and, and obviously has a lot of regret about it and, and learned from it but uh you know that's just a one example of what i think you're talking about where you need to get engaged in something that matters but mm -hmm. you need to also not spread yourself too thin because um it's very easy right with all the awareness social media is a double-edged sword right you can get connected to all these you know organizations and great ways to help but then if you you know sign up for 10 of them you've got no time for yourself left so it's uh, that, Justin, go ahead. that sorry it's that plus like something to consider um okay so if, if i was your enemy my one of my main goals would be to distract you and i think sun Tzu said something to the effect of the 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 thing you'd want to do in, in battle is to distract your enemy from the actual, the actual thing. Subject. Right. Yep. Right. So um, it's diversion. And we live in such, we live in an era of massive technology and there's a news story in front of you every 30 seconds and you could pay attention to, to so many things. You give yourself to the many while you neglect the things that matter, right? So I think each one of you has unique callings and unique anointings for particular things. And so it's just really kind of slowing down and noticing, okay, um, although this is a good thing, this is this over here is the thing I'm supposed to give my energy to. And that, that also uh, applies to mentorship. You're not supposed to mentor everybody, right? You can't, you can, create content and do your best. But, but, you know, like I said, if you spread yourself everywhere, you, you really, you've got no quality in a particular niche area. So we have to be really careful with that, man. I see a lot of guys that have such a big heart that want to, that want to mentor all the fathers. And it's like, no, um, even Jesus, Jesus basically discipled those who ran after him and were hungry. I mean, he, the, the invitation was open, but, you know, he would often do things like, hey, man, hey, guys, uh, eat my flesh, drink my blood. <laughs> and then that, that would thin the crowd. And he's like, oh, you still around? You still going to walk with me? Okay, cool. You 12 are still around? Cool. Let's do this. Yeah, I, I, I think the biggest thing for that, is, another tool of it is, is to discern what's God's voice in your life and his will and what your own voice is, because... We can, if if we're not using the Bible or or the Word as the base model for hearing His voice, we're we're not going to know if it's His or ours, and we're going to say we got to do this, we got to do this, and I feel called to do this and this and this, and like you said, we spread ourselves thin and we degrade uh, what God is is intending for our lives. So I think discerning His voice is going to be one of the most particular things in the battle of that. So, absolutely, one hundred percent. Justin, I think you had a question too, right? Yeah. So I was just going to ask, you know, fostering that many kids, um, what would you say was the biggest missing puzzle piece for them, like from fatherhood or something that from fatherhood that helped them the most? If you see what I'm saying? Yeah. Like, um, for most of these guys, they needed, they needed a com a combination of a man who could be consistent, who was gracious but firm, and who wouldn't fold under 
pressure or under intimidation and would follow through with his word. So I'll give you an example. Like I had one guy, we'll call him, we'll call him Franklin. Franklin came from, a, you know, all these guys were abused, neglected, abandoned. A lot of them had been sexually traumatized, stuff like that, sleeping on the streets. And this guy kid comes in and um, he, he would, he would steal chicken, steal food out of the fridge at night. And then I'd find chicken bones under his bed. Right. So I'm like, yo, Hey, Franklin, what's up with this? And he, he was so used to having to scrap for food that this was his way of ensuring he could, he would, he could eat. So I had to like be consistent and go, Hey man, there's always going to be food for you here. You don't need to steal. If you're hungry, just go eat in the kitchen. Just don't leave chicken bones under the, under the bed. Right. Um, so that was one thing, but also this particular kid, if you, because he'd been, he, he was used to um, volatile authority figures who were, who were physically violent with him and who would raise their voice. So if I would go into the room and ask him to clean his room or make his bed, he would bow up on me, like ready to fight. And I would look, man, like I would have to come in firm, but kind and have it be careful with my tone. I had to show him. I'm not, I'm not a threat to you. I'm here to protect you. I'm here to, and I would just try to keep order in the house. And one of the things I would do is uh, when the guys first move in, I would work out with them in the garage. Cause that was a, a big ethic of ours is, Hey, if you want half an hour of game time, if you, you want to play Xbox, you work out for half an hour. So that getting them active and, but I would work out with them. I would teach them some boxing, some basic jujitsu. That way they could feel me, but it was in a controlled environment. And I was teaching them, here's how you, here's how you defend yourself. We're in control here. And, and so the boys knew the difference between um, unbridled violence and self-controlled harnessed aggression. And so that was one of the things I felt was very, was very needed. So the consistency the follow through. If you cuss at me or get hostile with me, I'm not, I don't take it personally and we could figure it out. But, but no one, never one ever would ever punch me or try to take me on. Cause I would show them in a controlled setting. You know, I will submit you with grace without hurting you. If you try, we don't get violent in this house, right? There's a controlled measure to it. So uh, those are a couple of things that I used to practice that I, I felt worked fairly decent. You know, like it's not an exact science. I mean, everybody's got different temperaments, but, but I found that helpful. Right. And it's so hard for kids, especially kids that weren't to, to understand that there are such things as healthy boundaries instead of just all these unhealthy ones. And I, I think that's what a lot of kids struggle. It's just, they're, they're so used to the unhealthy boundaries and the lack of emotional intelligence. And like, they're always on the defensive. So like when, you get them to let their guard down and realize everything's okay. It's like, wow. And so it's, it's pretty exciting to see. And speaking of something exciting, I want to talk about your journey into psychotherapy and why you chose uh, specifically to focus on anxiety and panic and relationship issues. Can you tell us a little bit more on that? Yeah. Uh, so, well, to be human, you got to deal with relationship issues, right? So naturally, you know, people don't typically come to therapy because they had a glorious insight in their journal. I mean, there's a couple people, but generally it's because they hit pain. Their relationships are going south or 
Right. You know, they can't get a date or they you can't hold down a job or whatever. So that that's part of it. But with specifically with anxiety disorders, it it, it really comes down to the fact that I've always been really passionate about being courageous, being bold and facing your fears. And anxiety and fear are like stepsisters. So, uh, you know, phobias, the fear of there's so many different types of phobias, but what phobias end up doing is they cause people to play small and live small. Right. So um, I started working with clients to help them face their fears, whether it was the fear of public speaking, because I, I had a severe fear of public speaking. In fact, I dropped out of uh, public speaking class in college for three semesters in a row. I mean, I was terrified. I was I was terrified how to do hand to hand combat and boxing and wrestling. Terrified. I'd never done anything like that. I played soccer and I was aggressive on the field. But that's not the same thing as getting punched in the face. Right. A little different. A little different. So um, just had to, I was consistently working on facing my own stuff and had a serious rock climbing accident and developed a serious fear of heights, had to work through that. So I just figured, hey, I'll take my clinical knowledge and my personal experience and start helping people. And after a bad car accident, I developed really bad panic attacks and had to work through that. And so that's, I just figured, well, hey, I'll just teach people how to, how to get, how to break out of panic disorder and panic attacks. And so that kind of spun off. And then, you know, I work with athletes and athletes and performers, whether they're public speakers or podcasters or whatever, CEOs, they have to perform. And with performance, oftentimes comes anxiety, which isn't, isn't just mental. There's very real physical, physiological responses in the body that can be trained. You know, we could, can actually really put these things in check. And, and to be honest, most most clinicians don't really know what to do with panic attacks. Uh, and I, I don't, I, I just think they get overlooked. I think until you've had them, you don't really respect them. I don't know. You don't realize how terrifying and how crippling they can be. So um, yeah, man, I love it. And, and people can get really can get breakthrough with, with panic attacks pretty quickly. They just need, the right kind of work. So um, anyways, yeah, that that's, I guess that's kind of how I morphed into the therapist that I am today. Very awesome. Uh, and I love that it sparked from something in your own life. Like you were saying, a, a wreck. I, I had a wreck with a drunk driver, a head-on collision as well. And it took me three weeks just to step foot in a, a vehicle. And the only thing I'd get in is like a big old avalanche truck, you know? So I totally get that. And, and the panic attacks are, are or something that came with it. And it was something that you feel like you're dying. Like you physically yeah. feel like you're dying and then your brain's telling you are, you know? And so, yeah, it's it, the, the breath work and all the stuff that was involved to get through it. It was, it's always an interesting thing. Oh yeah. I mean, I, I struggled with a, a disorder in my teenage years and I have zero anxiety. Now I have Brent, you can ask Brandon. I used to be, I was pretty bad. Um, but my struggles, came from just the most ridiculous thoughts and you know those intrusive things that you just can't stop repeat like you said i think that is the biggest thing unless you've struggled with these two items people just don't understand it and they're not they don't they don't try to have that empathy that you would have if you've been through it um, but i think one of the the best things that i wanted to share based off what you said was someone told me anxiety is excitement trying to get up so mm -hmm. 
I've, I've always tried to like my first plane ride, I was like, so anxious, so nervous. And I was like, you know what, I should get excited about this. Like, let's go, like, we're going somewhere cool, we're doing something. And you know, I turned that anxiety into a, a positive. And I like you said, I faced my fears. And then um, just had some healthy channels as well. The breathing, like Brandon said, was huge. Breathing techniques save you from anxiety so well. Uh, and the gym, a lot of people don't realize, but getting in the gym, man, it got me off medication and everything. So yeah, but I, just, I wanted to share that neither here nor there, but. That's good, man. Yeah, there's a lot of different, depending on the, the, the particular type of anxiety, all those things you mentioned are great. And, uh, you know, like we're pretty black and white as humans. I, we tend to go like, okay, what's the one reason I have this fear? Or this anxiety. What's the one reason I have this addiction? It's like it's like a web, bro. There's different there's different slices to the pie here, and we got to tackle this from different angles. You can get freedom, but like anything, man, if you want to get freedom, you got to put in some some juice. You got to put in some work and be willing to face your fears, which is which a lot of people aren't willing to do. You know, so uh, yeah. So there's it's 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 fun work. It's exciting, uh, but um, it's not uncommon with the programs that I run that guys run into panic attacks and fears because they're they're really I'm really pushing them outside of their comfort zone and and uh, heck I was just I was just attending a men's training and one of the evolutions we had to fight another man in a controlled setting all out and you know that fight or flight whether you want it to or not comes up man right. But I've done so much work. I'm able to work through that and and uh, stay focused. And there's a guy I love. You guys, if you don't follow him, his name's Tony Blower. He's basically a expert martial artist, but he's kind of like a he's not a clinician, but he's he's like a he's like a hands-on psych mental mental coach psychologist for the martial arts world. And he, he always worked with like a lot of like police and everything too. I think I've seen some of his yeah. He does like it's kind of like it, it's how to control your fight or flight response, like in very high tent, you know, high pressure scenarios like that, so that you can still rely on your training appropriately and things like that. That's right. His tagline is if you can manage your fear, you can manage the fight. Because there's there's the fight component, but then there's the fear component. And the fear can defeat you before you even fight. The fear can defeat you before you give the speech. The fear can defeat you before you ask her hand in marriage. The fear can defeat you before you start a, park, a podcast. And so you, you never actually launch, right? So we have, we've all got work to do. Indeed. I wanted to uh, circle back a little bit. You know, you are the primal virtues guy and we haven't asked you yet. What are the primal virtues according to Jonathan Rios? Yeah. So, um, well, I wrote that little, let's call it, I like to call it the toilet book because you can read a chapter every forever bowel movement and get through that get through Very that stuff ten days if you want. But um, yeah, man, the problem of virtues were basically uh, virtues that I'd been living by that I found to be helpful, and I started to teach those to my clients, and they found them to be helpful, and then they would leave my office and they wouldn't really have a ton of support. That's why I started doing the social media thing, and then I I printed that book had that published for, for primarily for my clients and uh, a couple of the, I won't list them all, but a couple of the, the primal virtues are number one is I'm a warrior. I refuse to be domesticated. 
which for me meant, I mean, hence the t-shirt for me means, um, you know, this world really, really wants you to shut up and fall in line and not be you. The problem is everybody else is already taken. <laughs> They're already all taken, bro. And so in a world that, that says they love variety, uh, they say that, but the second you step out of line, they don't love you anymore. Cancel culture, all that stuff. So being a warrior to me is Billy being willing to step into the gap on behalf of others. And in order to do that, you oftentimes have to risk rejection. You oftentimes have to risk not being liked. You have to risk not having the popular vote or the popular opinion. You have to put your neck out there and be bold and brave. So for me, it's a constant reminder to remain undomesticated. I don't want to be civilized. I don't want to be soft. I don't want to be effeminate. Right? I want to be me and I want to be who God made me to be. I want to be a solid protector, provider, a presider. And so this is this is my personal call to that. Right. And if I could get that tattooed on my face, I would, but that'd probably be a bad idea. So that's that's number one. Um, maybe another one worth mentioning is uh I do not despise the day of small things, they prepare me for the big things. And I'm very passionate about stewardship because I believe it is the route to promotion in the natural and in the supernatural. So I, I think a lot of people, a lot of people, and I used to be like this, they, they, they despise their small minimum wage job and they do a crappy job. They show up late. They don't sweep right. They're not willing to do the, the humble job and they have a bad attitude and they wonder why they never get promoted and they wonder why they they just aren't progressing in life. And, um, you know, I remember being a kid, watching my dad mow the lawn and my dad, I thought my dad was a perfectionist because he would be out there way too long and just taking his sweet time. And then he would ask me to do it and then he'd have to come up behind me and show me where I'd made all these mistakes. And it was like, I was rushing through it, but my dad is a man of excellence. And it would piss me off. I'm like, dad, I'm just trying to get, go hang with my friends. And he's no, 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 you got to go back and do those corners. And it's like, what is this about? It's about excellence. So I don't despise the day of small things. I, I exhibit excellence in the small things so that I can handle the big things. And if, if you're not excellent with, with money now, you're not going to be excellent with money then. Right? If you're not excellent with your integrity now, you won't have integrity in the big things. You'll fold like a little pipsqueak. So that, that's, that's what, that's what I mean by that, that chapter. Um, one more, this is a big one, man, for me is I do hard things voluntarily for that is where I grow. And I just primarily wrote that because I, I saw so many men in particular taking the easy path, seeking pleasure and comfort, not realizing there's no glory in that. There's, there's times for pleasure. There's times for rest. But that is not why you were created. And if you're going to, if you're going to max out potential that God injected inside of you, the only way to do that is through the hard path, which involves testing, which involves trial, which involves adversity, 
And there's a big difference between um, me forcing you into adversity and you choosing it voluntarily. I can push you into the deep end or you can jump off yourself. And those are two massively different things. So uh, you're not going to get over your fears by someone else forcing you to do it. You're going to have to voluntarily grab your cojones and walk in that direction. So, yeah, I do hard things voluntarily. That is where I grow. I'm just constantly encouraging, man. Hey, man, like, as a man, you're going to have a hell of a time feeling deep joy and progress um, if you're taking the easy path. Because every man every man that I've ever met who was thriving had a deep sense that he was making progress. And every man that I've ever met who was really struggling with depression and meaninglessness and um, hopelessness and despair typically didn't see themselves making progress. So it's very important that we pursue progress, which means facing our fears, which means choosing the hard path. So those are three to chew on. Yeah, that last one I wholeheartedly agree with. Um, I, I actually made a video not too long ago about that exact thing where you know, we live in this super comfortable world. Um, you know, shoot, even even if you're in the military, a lot of times you're really not roughing it that hard, uh, depending on your job. And, uh, you know, there's just, there's almost this uh, cultural push to never do anything difficult or challenging and it's killing us. It's just, it's just slow death. You're just rotting away slowly. Um, there's something about that, that adversity sharpens us. It hones us. It makes us more than we are today. And through that, like you said, it makes me grow. I, I hundred um, percent. This is, this is the, this is the, this is the warning to your listeners is um, your enemy doesn't care about yesterday's victories. Exactly. So you may have crushed it yesterday and you may have crushed it with your business. You may have, you may have landed the woman and got married, whatever it is. You may have gotten promoted, um, but that's yesterday. That's dead and over. Right. And so I have to consistently think about uh, what is the heart? Like if you ask yourself, okay, you're trying to figure out the right thing. What, what's the right thing here? The right thing is usually attached to the hard thing. So how do I go deep with my wife? Well, it's going to be hard. How do I, how do I steward the kids that God has given me? It's going to be hard. You're going to have to exert yourself. You have to voluntarily choose the hard path, but guys get married. They get the girl and they let their foot off the gas guys get the job or start make the, the, the first million and they let their foot off the gas guys become a Christian and they're disciplined. And then they let their foot off the gas. And it's like, what are you doing, bro? You thought yesterday's victory mattered today? Nah, son. That's dead and over. We got a new we got a new battle today. Yeah, because I mean, otherwise you become like, you know, the the joke character from uh what was that movie? Napoleon Dynamite, you know, Uncle Rico, right? He's just hanging out. Oh man, if coach would have put me in, it's like if you if you're always hanging on the one time you did something really good, like you're just you're stuck there. You're not there's no growth, there's no vision. Um and like we talked earlier, I think as, as men, we just have a need inherently to just do something that we feel has purpose, right? We want to 20, 30, 40 years from now, look back and say, I did something that mattered. And if you're not, I just ahead, got, you'll never get that. Sorry about that, George. I cut you off. No, you're good. Go ahead, man. 
I just got off a Zoom call with a client just before we got on this podcast. And she was lamenting that her husband stopped pursuing her. He just basically let his foot off the gas. And she's she's like, I I don't really know how to how to get him going again. It's like when we stop choosing the hard path, that's the kind of thing that happens. You let your guard down and you get taken out. Once you learn to quit, it becomes a habit. I mean, that's that's what it is. It's it's people have, have gotten so comfortable with quitting or just being relaxed and being media, mediocre. They just they settle and it, it's habitual and man, it's tough. Uh, and, and like you said, it's a daily battle. You have to fight it daily until you've, you've rooted that out completely. There, so. you know, there's a wisdom, there's wisdom to be had. Like there's a time for rest. There's a time for, there's a time for the lion to go to sleep and the lamb to rise, right? There's a time for all things under the sun, but generally speaking, you live on a fractured planet. This is a world at war unseen and in the scene. And if you don't think that and know that you're going to be a casualty, casual bros are casualties, casual husbands, casual fathers, they're all casualties and they've got an excuse for it, but they're freaking casualties and we don't need to be that. And then their families become collateral damage. hundred percent. That doesn't have to be. This. Yeah. There was a saying, uh, Steve, uh, Prefontaine used to say, it was um, to accept anything less than your best is to sacrifice the gift. And a lot of people are daily sacrificing a lot of things on on the altar, and not just their gifts, but their their relationships, like you said. And it's a, it's a pretty sad state, and it just takes a little bit of attention and intentionality um, on a daily basis. And a lot of people just aren't willing to do that because they'd rather their brains seek comfort and. It's, it's hard for them to get out of that rut, but it's like, man, you got to, or you're going to lose what you have. You're going to sacrifice it. So, Yeah, and they're willing to sacrifice their purpose on the altar. I mean, purpose creates legacy. We, men talk about wanting to leave legacies. Look at every single man with a real purpose who has lived their life by it, and I'm, I can guarantee you they have a massive legacy. It's because people remember the ones who... Like you said, all the, the tributes of the man, you know, that those are the guys that go after stuff. And and I think to reiterate on what you said, every day's a battle. Like you can't just, oh, okay, well, we won yesterday's battle. Well, you didn't win the war. The war's ongoing and it's never gonna stop. You know, and I, I think that that's something that hit home for me. Like we're all guilty of a little procrastination or we're guilty of of sitting a little idle unless we really focus and push ourselves. And I like what you said, man. That that really struck home with me for sure. You know, Nietzsche said uh, he said something to the effect of society tames the wolf into a dog, and man is the most domesticated animal of all, right? And and we think the average guy thinks he's undomesticated and wild, and that he's this warrior, and yet to be a warrior, to be undomesticated, is a calculated trained disposition the warrior trains every freaking day the samurai gets up at, before dawn and takes a cold bath in the river and then anoints himself with oil and sharpens his sword and he gets his mind right 
before he even starts the day. And it's like, that's the warrior mentality. You don't need have to have fought in Afghanistan. The warrior starts when you're willing to step into the gap because you are you are willing to face your fears. You're willing to stay that untamed wolf, so to speak. And I just think, um, man, like we're all, look, we're, it's 2023. We are so obsessed with talking about uh, change and talking about masculinity and talking about marriage and talking about fatherhood. It's like, shut up and do it. Let's be the guy, be the guy. And then talk about it while you're doing it. But like, dude, I'm so sick of hype. I'm so convicted that God is not impressed with talk. Talk is cheap. God is looking, is scanning for the earth, looking for those who are fully committed to him, that he would strengthen them because they're doing something. They're not just talking, right? So that's my rant. Uh, but I'm talking to myself, man. Like, am I just a talker, bro? Am I just a guy that did some good stuff five years ago? Am I just a guy that writes on social media? And and I, I, I have a gift for writing, but I actually don't. My family, my wife can't stand me. And my kids don't want to be around me. And my colleagues don't want to work with me. It's like... We need a gut check, man, because there's a lot of there's a lot of fake going on and it's easy to deceive people on social media. But uh, I always in my programs, I'm always challenging the guys. I'm like, I do not believe you can know a man until you see him in adversity. Yep, I'd agree. It's really like easy. That. It's really easy to have an act until things get really, really tough. Yeah. And nobody's perfect. Yep. You know? So I get that, but it's like that's also why like brotherhood and tribe is so important because if you if you have that bond and that connection, you love that other person enough to say the hard thing that's gonna make them upset in the moment, but in the long term gives them the opportunity to realize where they're failing or where they're um, you know, willfully doing the wrong thing. Um and if you haven't built that up around you, then I mean, yeah, life life is tough already and to try and do it alone is essentially guaranteeing you're going to fail um, because I don't, no one can be successful, whether it's individually as a father, as a husband in your business, in a sport, whatever, by yourself, it, it absolutely requires, like you said earlier, mentors mentored you and your father. Um, uh -huh. Yeah. So it, th that isolation is just guaranteeing failure. You nailed it. On top of that too, with fear, you mentioned, I love to say that, you know, you have to make a necessary movement. Um, imperfect action is better than no action. So if you're listening to this and you're feeling a little convicted or something, you're like, oh man, but I just don't know how I'm going to do it right. Well, just try, <laughs> you know, if you try and fail and try and try and try, eventually you're going to get it right. And that's still better than just sitting there waiting to draw up a perfect plan because guess what? Conditions are ever changing and that plan won't be perfect the second you start trying it anyway. So, mm -hmm. Absolutely. I'll get off my high horse now. No, yeah, that's that's me because like I was the same way. Like anything I would approach, if it wasn't in a perfect, like I always seeked perfectionism and research before I went into something because of the fear of failure driving behind it. And and for so many guys, it's like don't don't let fear take the wheel. You have to just understand that you're not going to be perfect and that you're gonna make mistakes. And those mistakes are what are going to give you a closer view of 
of uh, increasing the skill or perfection, I guess you could say. So going back, that's good. That's good, Brandon. Going back to the, I'm aware I refuse to be domesticated. Um, something that we just have to accept guys is, I don't know if you've ever thought of it this way, but no matter what you do in this life, you're going to be judged for it. If you start a podcast, you're going to be judged for your opinions. If you don't start a podcast, maybe you're judged as being, um, maybe, uh, a silent nobody. If you're, if you're vocal about your political views, you're gonna be judged for being a bigot or whatever. If you're not vocal, you'll be judged for being the silent mass that doesn't ever give a rip about anything. If it's just no matter what you do, man, if you get ripped and jacked and people see you, they're going to judge you for maybe you're on TRT. And if you're, if you're fat or whatever, they're just going to get judged, man. You're just going to get judged. So it's like, you might as well live life on your own terms. If I'm going to be judged, at least I'm going to be judged for what I believe in and what I believe is true. And, you know, it's like, at some point, bro, I, I just kind of came to the realization, God doesn't really care that much about my reputation. I do. I love that thing. I'm like, oh, bro, I need people to like me. But God, God's like, hey, man, um, that ego pride thing, that actually will cause you to implode. And, and when you begin to love, fear God and God, revere God's opinion, it puts the opinions of men in its rightful place. So when we say things like the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, or in Deuteronomy, it says, let the Lord alone be your fear. Let him be your dread. That means he's supposed to be the guy that I revere. And his opinion is numero uno. And everybody else's is inferior. And if I keep my eyes there, I can deal with the, I can deal with the rejection of men, right? I can deal with the betrayals. I'm not saying it's fun. I'm not saying it's easy, but look, everybody that every story that you really like in the scriptures, if you look at their, their stories closely, they were openly willing to face human rejection, even at cost to their lives. And yet we get into the fetal position when somebody makes a negative comment on our social media post. It's like, bro, what are we doing, man? We're addicted to the fear of man. And we have to actively attack that. Yep. And when you live that way that you're describing where you um, just shed yourself of, of the cares of what others think and you commit yourself to purpose, um, the calling on your life, and you start attacking towards that, um, it is liberating. I mean, you, life gets easier in a way because you just stop taking on all these extra um you know things to throw in your backpack because you just don't care anymore and in in you there's a simplicity and and it's beautiful because you just only work towards your mission and you lead your family through it and you lead your business through it, whatever it is right but um when you have that conviction towards something you really liberate yourself of, of a lot of this like stress and anxiety and things like that because it can't get you, you know, <laughs> people may say, still, still say the same things or whatever, but, um, you don't care anymore. You, you've made yourself something that can't be brought down by their displeasure and you have a, a higher calling, a higher mission to achieve. So why would you let something like that dissuade you? Here's, here's something to 
a lot of you guys who are either business owners or entrepreneurs or thinking about your listeners might be thinking about it. I didn't realize how much of how much I was, it was entrenched in the, the fears of rejection until I became a business owner. And until I started making content on social media, I didn't realize I cared so much about what other people thought. So sometimes it's not until you step in a new territory where, you know, you guys launched a podcast. I'm sure you had to start, you had to contemplate, hey, people might actively hate our content. People might actively think we're idiots. You know, it's like, it's like you kind of had to just face that and go, well, you know what? Screw it. We're going to do it anyways. And you put your neck out there. And the, the more that you step out and take the hits, the stronger you get. You get stronger. You get more developed, right? And it, there's there's going to come a time again where somebody somebody critiques me or somebody says something, and it's going to hurt. You know, it's not it's not like I'm impervious to it. What I am is like I'm learning more and more. Okay, man, like if I'm going to really live this life, I have to push the envelope. I have to follow God, and God isn't all that concerned with my reputation. Mm-hmm. And and something that he pushes us to do is he, before we we even accept him as as Lord and Savior, is we have to count the cost. Yeah. And so when we count the cost, and with affirmation and belief that we're going to go after and strive towards him, it it's it's an acceptance. Like okay, regardless of what happens, I'm accepting this and it's not fear driving it's not anything else it's an acceptance and even if that acceptance is there it's like he told us we're going to face hatred and we're going to face animosity in his name and and that you know we have to sacrifice our life on 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 his altar sometimes physically but metaphorically in most cases and so that acceptance in anything you do in your life is so crucial because if you're not like the acceptance is what helps you when when you fail and you have something that just destroys you but you're, you're accepting of it. It's like, okay, the, the yoke is light because, okay, I put myself here and I told myself, regardless of what was going to happen, I knew this could be an outcome. And you still push through it and you still strive towards what you're going for because the, there's, the only time it ends and you fail is when you quit or you give up, right? And so for me, that, that acceptance is so much better and, and, and it's so unburdening for me. So, but yeah, counting the cost is huge. Well, it also comes back to another thing. I, I like the analogy about the wolf versus the domesticated dog. Our listeners need to decide. Um, you know, the one thing about a wolf pack, the pups learn from the adults. Just by, actually, most of their communication is done by eye positioning and contact. And that brings up a great point. Like, if you're wanting to teach young men or young women the kind of men they need around them, you have to lead by that example. And wolves are a great example of that. So I love the analogy that you said that because, I mean, they also have to travel in a pack. Everybody in the pack has a job. And who you surround yourself with changes who you are. I mean, if you surround yourself with losers, that's what you're going to get. You need to teach your kids that. You can't have your kids accepting mediocrity. And, and while you're preaching, like you said, speaking, you can talk, talk, talk all you want. But if your kid's failing, what good does all that talk do? You know what I mean? You got to push him. Justin, what talk, talk, you just kind of broached the topic of parenting and fathering and 
kind of leading in that sense. And, you know, one thing I think a lot of moderns don't understand about love, they, they tend to think love is hot emotion. First Corinthians says love always protects. Okay. If you love someone or something, you protect it. If you love your kids, you protect them from horrific ideologies, from evil people, right? You protect them from invaders. If you love, love, you know, you're supposed to love God and love your neighbor, right? If you love your neighbor as you love yourself, what is it, what does it mean to love yourself? You protect yourself, right? So in order to protect, uh, in order to protect my wife, I have to be able, I have to be capable of protecting. Right. And so when we talk about the three P's, protector, provider, presider, it's like, what is it? Well, we need to be working on our protective skills, not just physical. Right. That's good. That's important. I do that. But pro protecting our children from filth on TV, from neighbors that like I don't we don't we're very careful about who our kids sleep over. With. Like they, they barely sleep over with anybody. There's so much perversion. It's like, I know so many fathers that are so passive in that area and kids are getting taken out, right? And here's the other one. You protect your family from yourself. Sometimes the enemy's not out there. It's my own selfishness. It's my own unbridled aggression. It's my own mouth. The words I speak to my wife and my kids. We're all training boxing to protect from some, some home break-in and yet you're mouthing off to your wife and disrespecting her in front of your kids. It's like, they need protection from you, bro. Right? Have you, have you learned self-control? That's, that's a big one, man. So love always protects. If you love someone, you speak the truth. If you love someone, you protect them. Man, I've had to protect people, people from themselves. You know? So, yeah, I think we have a, a really, we really struggle to understand what love is, okay, you know, for, for different reasons. And um, I think that's one of the things we could do as fathers is demonstrate this is what love looks like, right? I can, it's not all hot emotion. It, do, it can include emotion and often does, but just because you don't feel it, like you may wake up tomorrow and, and be gassy and and be moody and not feel like feeding your children but you do it anyways because you're you're the provider you're the protector it has nothing to do with your fluctuating motions and mood right. just like loving your wife sometimes you wake up and you're exhausted and you want to be left alone and she needs you right are you going to be selfish or are you going to step into the fray regardless of you are you almost going to reject the inflamed emotion in favor of what is right and true. And culture, modern culture does not agree with that concept. In fact, I would say is almost gone in the opposite direction. Well, and as fathers, it's, it's leadership, not likership, right? So there's a lot of times where you're going to have to say no, um, whether it's protection or it's to uh, instruct or, I mean, th there's a lot of times where you have to be the bad guy in a sense not don't don't 
it's the spirit of things. So don't listen to this and, and twist into something it's not. But there are times where you know that this is the best thing for my child. For example, you're not going to eat ice cream all day long, right? <laughs> Let's use a simple one. That's why you say no. It's not because you hate your kid. It's because you know that in order for them to be healthy, they have to have actual food. Um, that's a very simplistic version, but I think a lot of people err on that where, to your point earlier, we love other people liking us. And we're addicted to it, even within our own families. And being a real leader means at times that you're going to have to hold a hard line on certain things. And in the moment, they won't like you, whether that's your spouse or your kids. But yeah. if you really love them, you will hold true to those virtues, the primal virtues or the, the objective that you believe in. Um, and it's not, it's with compassion. It's with understanding. It's not being a, a tyrant. It's not being a brute, but, uh, that's absolutely, I think a lost art, um, that I think ties into what we talked earlier where men just start, you know, prolonged adolescence, but Brandon, I think yeah. you had something. Yeah, no, cause the, there's different types of loves and the Bible, particularly in the new Testament, you know, if you look at the original Greek language, uh, you know, you are you are mentioning a, a very um, emotion-driven love. That's eros, right? That's an eros type of love. And then the the, the parenting love is store. Um, and then you've got your agape, which is like your God love. Like it's an it's an unconditional love that's that's specifically from God because it's perfect and it's unconditional and sacrificial. And He calls us as the the head of the household and the leader of the house the home to to ex exemplify that same kind of agape love. To our family and to our children but also the store hey love which you know um also signifies like natural affection and so like if you if you really jump into these different types of loves that the bible specifically hones in on in the greek it, it's amazing because like i didn't understand the different type of love that i could express properly and model properly and to my kids until i studied these things so i would i would recommend looking those four up it's agape philea uh, Storhe and Eros, but, but yeah, it, it's so awesome that you brought up Eros naturally. And I think that's, that's a very cool thing. So, sorry, I had to nerd out a little. I'm a big fan of Eros. That's right. Yeah. Yeah, if people don't get that, then, uh, man. You study, you'll, you'll see. Yeah. Go, go look it up. <laughs> uh, Donna, I want to lighten it up a little bit and, uh, well, hopefully lighten it up. What, what is your, uh, what's your favorite part about being a dad? Hmm. Favorite part about being a dad, man. I think take I think taking my kids on adventures, watching them, kind of watching them overcome their little fears and stepping into their talents, man, and watching them develop. Um, but sometimes it's it's really just the simple things like sitting on the couch and what playing. Uh, what were we playing last night? Um, what's the guess who you guys ever play guess who playing guess who with my eight-year-old and she's like freaking out you know it's it's just the little things man so just just being around them and their innocence man i just that's the thing i want to protect that's becoming a father like really woke up the protector in me because i recognize this is valuable this needs to be protected you know so yeah i'd say those are a couple Nice. If you uh, if you could give one piece of advice to dads out there, what would it be? Well, that's a big one. Um, hmm. Yeah, this, sorry to put you on the spot. <laughs> I think it's 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 somewhat simple. Um, 
your your kid doesn't need a, a best friend. They need a father. And you can be friendly, right? You can have that friendship dynamic, but they need someone to lead from the front. They need someone to have a gracious but firm hand. They need someone to bring healthy discipline into their lives and to, to help guide them through life. And um, you have to be willing to risk your kid getting upset with you in order to father them. To tell your kid no when they need to hear no, rather than telling them yes because you want to be their friend and you want them to like you. It's like the job of a father isn't primarily to be liked. Although you can, they're going to like you as you love them and father them. Your job is to lead them, to protect them, to guide them, to love them and discipline them so that they become mature adults who can thrive in this life. I know I've had way too many clients in the office where dad just wanted to be buddies and never, no, no discipline, just high five, high five, love you, buddy. And the kid and the family is a disaster. Absolute disaster. So hopefully that makes sense. Makes complete sense. Um, I agree with everything you just said. Um, all right. Well, Jonathan, I wanted to uh, give give a couple minutes to you to let you tell people where they can find you, uh, find your services. I know you've got your website. Is that probably the best place for people to, to land first or is it Instagram? Yeah, either or. Uh, Instagram is Primal Virtues. Uh, my website, uh, maybe when you guys post it, the spelling kind of funny, but it's thrive.co, T-H-R-I-I-V dot C-O, thrive.co. So um, yeah, there it is. And uh, I, if you really want to find me, I live in Jupiter, Florida, but I'm not going to give you my address. <laughs> you just have to track me down. Yeah. Um, can you also tell us about the, so this is your course, right? The the Primal Men course? Yes. So I've got the okay. Primal course, which is the three-day mountain course in North Carolina. And uh, I love I love facilitating that. And guys who come in leave as brothers. They come, some of them come in as strangers and they leave like a like a band of brothers. That's three and three tenths days. Then I've got the rite of passage, which is eight weeks in total. And that takes place uh, for seven weeks virtual. And then the eighth week, everybody comes into Jupiter, Florida, as we facilitate the crucible experience. Awesome. Well, uh, we'll maybe have to do that. <laughs> Come on. We, we talked about rucking in the mountains, so this is right up, right up the alley. Well, I was, I was joking with the guys. So I'm, you know, I'm former active army and in the guard now, and they're they're a bunch of civilians. So I was, I was joking about how we're gonna have to go get a cabin somewhere out in a mountain you know, area and I'll, I'll, I'll rough them up a little bit, put a ruck on their back and make them do a bunch of stuff and they can teach me some things I, I haven't learned, but yeah, it's, it's funny how stupid stuff like that is like, you know, men just love that we eat it up and, uh, to deny that you're just doing yourself a disservice. So. And you got to watch George too. Cause he'll say, Oh, I'm a terrible runner. And then you're actually a good runner and he's two and a half miles ahead of you and on his way back in 100 degree heat in mississippi yeah like like that hasn't happened to me yeah all right jonathan uh any closing thoughts you want to leave us with uh man i just for you guys just appreciate what you're doing and i would just ask you to consider moving forward like 
what does it look like for you guys as podcasters to be bold and to keep pushing into the frontier and to, yeah, I know you're getting so much good content and I know you guys are applying that, but what does it look like for you guys to push the envelope? You know, I know life happens. And so just be thinking about that, man. That's it. Well, I don't want to, we, we can't reveal anything yet, but we are, we're, we're making moves to, to put things into action too. We're not just talking about it, but yeah, it's, it's amazing. Uh, you know, we just to all the listeners out there, all of your support has been amazing. We really appreciate it. And, uh, you know, we're just excited for what the future brings because it's, it's been way more than we thought it was going to be. So we're going to, um, you know, double down on it and put everything we got into it. So Jonathan, I really appreciate you, uh, coming on and sharing with us uh, just straight from the heart and love what you're doing. Uh, like I said, we'll have to actually maybe look into the the That's four of us, the present fathers doing your three-day uh, adventure. That might be a, a pretty good little growth team bonding experience for us. So let's, we'll let's do it. Soon, we're, we're doing it. We got to do it now. You can't <laughs> stop about it. We got to put the action down. Keep tabs with me and we'll, we'll make it work. Look, I'm, I'm just excited to be on the toilet reading your book. I mean, see if I can knock out a chapter. <laughs> it's not creepy at all. I'm a bookworm, so I'm excited. I'm excited. Yeah. Well, that's why we're going to get you out in the mountains and rough you up a little bit. You'll be a little bit less of a, <laughs> nah, he needs it. a little bit more of a warrior. But <laughs> books are great. Brandon has. I've read a lot of books now after being your friend, and uh, I, I'm definitely a lot better because of it. So, on that note. Enough talk, dads. Let's start climbing the mountain. We'll see you in the next one. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of the Present Fathers Podcast. Make sure that you subscribe to our YouTube channel and follow us on Spotify to catch all of our amazing episodes. We will see you in the next one.